Hello, welcome to an empty cinema. Empty cinemas are weird, I've decided. This <laughs> is the Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. Why is it spiders don't get stuck in their own webs? Girl in the Spider's Web is the latest in the The Girl franchise. So is it as confronting? Is it as cerebral? Is it as good? God will not love you the way that you are. Boy Erased sees Joel Edgerton in the direction of Cole Kidman and Russell Crowe into hating their gay son. Oh, she can see me. Suspiria is a horror that David Bowie would have loved. Do you know what I mean? It sort of looks like a It's art weird. Yeah. <laughs> you think there's no limit to what I'm about to and Journey's End is the English war film to perfectly show how the British film war differently. Hello, hello. My name is Kyron Wheatley and I've seen heaps of movies, but none of those. Luckily, Vary McIntyre and Michael Campbell hello. both have. We also have a Village Cinema's Gold Class double pass to give away, as always. But first... Are you not Lisbeth Salanda? The girl with the dragon tattoo. The girl who hurts men, who hurt women. I'm transferring all of your cash to your wife. He won't hurt you again. Oh, those lucky ladies. Why did you help everyone but me? Last time I saw Claire Foy, she was playing the queen in Netflix's The Crown. Well, now she is painted, hooded, Scandinavian and terrifying. The girl in the spider's web is the latest in the... The Girl series? Is that what they're called? The it's tr- the Millennium series. The Millennium series. And she's strapped in leather and makeup and she plots to take down evil men. That's the trailer. What's the film? It's about Lisbeth Salander and her whole deal is that she is the woman that hurts men that hurt women. She's for hire. You can kind of hire her to get back at someone or to infiltrate something. And she gets a job to steal a piece of technology from the American government. But as it turns out, once she's done that, the spider, this evil organization is also after it and she's in a little bit of trouble. Now, I haven't seen the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the one with Rooney Mara, but I have seen the original, original one, the oh, Scandinavian one. one with Numi Rapace. And I love the difference that they've made with this remake, reboot thing. And well, what is it? Is it a remake or is it a reboot? Have they done this particular story before on film? No, there's, oh, there's this whole deal with these book <laughs> film franchise. The writer of the original Millennium series was Steve Larson, but he died in 2004. Uh, he had written three stories featuring Lisbeth Salander that were all published after his death. So we've got the girl with the dragon tattoo, the girl who played with fire and the girl who kicked the hornet's nest. He'd finished three quarters of a fourth book with notes for two more out of a series of 10 that he'd planned to do. And then after he died, this other author, David Lagerkrantz, took over the franchise and wrote The Girl in the Spider's Web, which we have now. He's written a second one, The Girl Who Takes an Eye for an Eye, published last year, and he's going to write a third one. So the headline of this movie is Claire Foy. How is she? She's great. She seems so dynamic. You know, she never really plays the same character twice. Yeah. About as far removed from the queen as you could get mm. with this, like you said, just like drenched in leather. And she's got the, the classic Elizabeth Solander mohawk towards the end of the film as well. Even in First Man, she was completely different as well. So she's just one of these people that's almost. Oh, yeah, she's you, got you, two films in cinemas. Yeah. yeah. A couple of months ago, she was in a film called Unsane as well that was all shot on an oh, iPhone. Yeah. She's just doing these weird different projects that aren't very alike but they're all consecutively great with her in the lead. I love her in this. I avoided watching the Rooney Mara one because friends told me how dark it was and I was a bit 
scared to watch it. Mm. So I went into so. this a bit skeptical about it being like that. <laughs> I mean, this isn't is a light movie. No, it's not. <laughs> it is quite dark and there's some heavy stuff, but it's done well enough that <laughs> I don't have to see too many scary things. And what I love about the character of Lisbeth is that she's punk, she's androgynous, her sexuality seems fluid, but it's not questioned. And the difference between this and the dragon tattoo in both remakes, the original Swedish one and the Rooney Mara one, is that this Lisbeth is much more active. She gets much more of a role. She's in the four. There's another character who's the main character in the other stories who's a journalist called Michael Blomkist and he's... Daniel Craig? It was Daniel Craig in the original reboot but is now being recast with a Swedish actor. Yes, Svea Gudnadsson. And he is the main character. You see everything through his eyes. And this one is much more about Claire Foyand, her characterisation and her story. And it's all her background, all her childhood history as well coming into it. Home. For 16 years, I've imagined this moment. Lisbeth Salander. Someone always has to carry the pain. Now it's your turn, sister. It was you who lit the match. So lots of recasting then. Yeah, I heard the director of this one, Fede Alvarez, didn't want to steal David Finch's actors. So he just wanted to make his own, start from fresh. I would say that as well, if I couldn't get Daniel Craig. I'd be like, yeah, I just didn't want to steal him from David Fincher, yeah. you know. It's just, it was a thing mm. of respect. that he, <laughs> David Fincher has a particular style that we sort of know mm. these days, if you watch a lot of film or TV, you know, the sort of House Very of particular. Cards debut the first episode was fincher i think yeah, so if was, you think yeah. of that that's kind of the fincher thing and the girl with the dragon tattoo was very david fincher mm-hmm. does this director impart his own view onto it or does it feel a little bit david fincher it's kind of like a middle ground i found it has the david fincher kind of like aesthetic it's almost like a little bit washed out and mm, that's kind of his aesthetic and, and, and they keep that which i i get why you would do that so it feels connective but Fede alvarez so he directed a movie a few years ago called don't breathe which was kind of a, a yeah. thriller horror movie about kids trapped in a blind man's house and he's trying mm. to get them. He's got this really fluid thing going where he does lots of long takes and uh, and the camera is constantly kind of moving around characters and whatnot. And in fact, there's this one scene where someone's been poisoned in this movie and I don't even really know how they filmed it other than they put it on a maybe a gimbal that was unbalanced, but the camera is just swaying from side to side as it's trying to follow something. There's some really cool mm. directorial tricks that he pulls out of the hat here. What I think as well is different to the other movies is that whereas they're more like spy thriller where they get clues and follow it along and piece everything together. This felt a little more action-based. The other ones are very much like investigative journalism into yeah. like a murder mystery or you know what's happening with this shady company and things like that, whereas this one is more people are trying to get Lisbeth. It goes into her backstory more than any of the other films yeah. have. In fact, it starts as, with her as a child, so it's really Lisbeth heavy. And I'm going to make one of my dubious connections like I normally do. It reminds me of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Jack Sparrow was never the main character, right? It was always Orlando yeah. Bloom and he was the side character. That's kind of what Lisbeth was right. in the originals. Yep. She was the Jack Sparrow. Yep. But now, like the Pirates of the Caribbean films, they've been like, this is what people like, this is what people are interested in. Yeah. And they've shifted it to yeah. make her the main focus. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Is that, a, is that an analogy that works? In my head, it works. Yeah, I'm just, I'm uh, always stunned at how you're able to pull analogies from the opposite ends yep. of cinema. Yeah. I don't know. Don't I don't think about the film, just think about the aspect of that. Yes. yes. I don't know why my brain works yep. this way, but it does. 
I'm a fan of yours. The CEO who beat up two prostitutes, but then got acquitted in court yesterday. Get me down! I'm transferring 20% of your cash to these two girls. I'm calling down to security. The rest, I'm transferring to your wife. Is it a political film? Does it respond to the Me Too movement? It sort of seems like it's in the area when you've got a woman killing or attacking men who Look, attack it, women. It is, but it's not overt in any way. It's not like it was made specifically to be like, this is a Me Too film. It just, it fits, like it's very timely that it's coming out around about this time. But the character of Elizabeth Salander has always been that kind of a character. She's always been like that. And I know that in 2018, that is more in the forefront of media. It makes sense that they want to reboot it now. Who should see this movie? I think if you're a fan of the franchise, this is more David Finch Dragon Tattoo than it is the original Dragon Tattoo in style and in polish. The originals were kind of TV movies, so they were a little unpolished. But if you were a fan of those, this is another story that you've never seen. Or if you're like me and you haven't really seen many of the originals uh, and just want a really cool kick-ass woman in an action film and you like that sort of European style of it, this is a great one. I think about men. I don't know why. And I'm so sorry. Your parents signed you up for a program to fix you, but Jared, you are a perfectly normal very healthy teenage boy. They're going to do things for you. We spoke about the miseducation of Cameron Post a few weeks back, about the, frankly, in my opinion, horrific program of trying to convince teenagers that they aren't gay. Well, now we have another on the same subject, and this time it's Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe staring down the truth, trying desperately to understand their gay son. This feels like it could become a bit preachy. So is it a brilliant drama or is it an overreach? I'd say brilliant if we're going with either or. It is very Sorry, dark. I'd rather set you up there before <laughs> if you agree with neither of those things. <laughs> no in between. Which is it? <laughs> it is brilliant and it's really important to see. So this one is set in the early 2000s in Arkansas. So the Bible Belt of America. And Jared, who's played by Lucas Hedges... His parents are devoutly Baptist and his father is a preacher when he's outed as gay and then he's forced to go to this gay conversion program. Now, at first he's willing, but when things start getting serious and he starts to reflect on his life and who he is as a person and he realises he needs to get out of there. Lucas Hedges, is he an Australian actor? No, he's not. In fact, is he the only non-Australian actor in this movie? Could be. I've, I've seen them yeah. trying to claim this as an Australian movie. And I was kind of like, no, I don't know. Yeah, Australian director and a couple of Australian cast. It's but definitely set in it's this Bible Belt America. Yes, yeah, yeah. You talk about Russell Crowe and Nicole Kidman. This is Lucas Hedges' movie all the way. Mm. And in fact, I, so much I think that he might even get nominated, I suspect, for the best actor. Because it's like, what like what a wow. meaty role to have, you know. Mm. So, you know, Conflicted we were... youth and, and playing against type because he's normally a very angry teen in a movie like Three Billboards out of Ebbing, Missouri and stuff like that. Mm. So it sounds like you really like this. We were talking about warning bells given that Joel Edgerton wrote, directed, produced. Yes, uh, that you're right. That's released, released, warning bells. <laughs> took it around I would say, to doorstops. <laughs> the, the asterisk weirdly there is Joel Edgerton, who's done this a few times to good result. He made the movie The Gift a few yeah. years ago that he wrote and directed and starred in. He's a great director. And in fact, the direction of this movie is really interesting. The scene at the very beginning when he's checking into this facility, it's this long tracking shot kind of following him through. And in one single long tracking shot, it sets up his character because he's kind of hesitant to be there. It sets up the world that you're going to see and all the different, like the spaces in this place and that you'll get to know later on. He meets all these different characters all in one single shot. 
that's such a clever way to open a movie and it'd be so easy to do something a little easier than that. But they didn't cheap out. They made this and he directed the hell out of it. So the biggest cast members, even if it's Lucas Hedges' film, obviously Nicole Kidman, Russell Crowe, very big yeah. names. How are they in this film? Nicole Kidman is great. I think she's actually my favourite character from the film. She plays... Uh, his mum, Nancy, she's a classic Southern Belle. She looks like Dolly Parton. She's all <laughs> done up. And she's such a conflicted character because at the start she loves her son unconditionally but she has these different views and she takes him to this place where she thinks he's really going to get better and she just wants what's best for him. And there's a great line of dialogue that kind of shows the difference between her and Russell Crowe as well, which says, I love God and I love my son. For your father, it's a little more complicated than that, which is exactly their dynamic where she is more sympathetic and she can see because she's with him every day that he's changing as a person and that's not what she wants. Whereas the father, played by Russell Crowe, is a preacher at the the local church and he isn't there either. So as far as he knows, it's all going well. What makes this more emotional is that it's a true story. It's based on the memoir by Garrett Conley, which was published in 2016. And this is exactly what happened to him. He actually has a cameo right at the beginning. So he's one of the campers. And he said the authenticity on set, how they got the buildings, this grey, old, weird building, the posters on the wall, the handbook that the kids get was just down to a T. They did everything perfectly. And it makes it all the more emotional for me knowing that this is exactly what happens. Joel Edgerton, when he first decided they wanted to direct it, he went to him and said, do you want to write the screenplay because it's your book? And he said something that I wish more people would say, which is, I'm not a screenwriter. You're a screenwriter. I think you would do a better job of (laughs) adapting this into a screenplay, which I think is a note to some authors that try to adapt their own work. Errol Flynn, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Refuge Program. You cannot be born a homosexual. This is a lie. It's a choice. Go. Fake it till you make it. Become the man you are not. Save yourself. An aspect of this movie I really liked as well, which was that it's like properly scored it's got like an orchestral score again the opening sequence that i was talking about is scored like a much bigger movie would be where i guess the go-to would be you play an acoustic folk song over the opening credits or whatnot this scores the movie completely like changes a film doesn't it it really does so like it's got this kind of like um like boom 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 kind of thing going on and it's it's like (laughs) it's like a heartbeat almost as he's walking in and it gets a little more rapid as he's going through and that choice, I think, is really good. For fans of the pop star Troy Sivan... I was going to ask about this. Oh, my God, is he yes. good? Yeah, he does a really good job. He, so he's one of the campers as well. And he's not in it too much, but he wrote a song for it as well called Revelation. Mm. And I've been listening to that song a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's really he, good. And Joel Edgerton, the director and the writer, he's really great as the... Very... He's an evil guy, yeah? Yeah. He's, 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 <laughs> well. he's, he's a frustrating man mm. because he, it's the most frustrating thing is when someone thinks they're right. And he is very much that kind of character, which I think is interesting that he gave himself the least likable part mm. where normally, as ego would dictate, he'd be the hero. Yeah. He'd be the guy that kicks in the door and the third act is like, yeah, everyone's fine, you know. But he didn't. He went the opposite. We've been talking about it quite excitedly because it sounds like it is a very good film. It does look like it's quite a dark film as well. Yeah, look, it deals with some dark issues in this as well. A trigger warning for some people, there is an assault scene. So who should see this film? This is kind of a really discerning drama, whereas The Miseducation of Cameron Post was a little bit more coming of age. This is a little heavier of a drama. But if you're a fan of Joel Edgerton's other films, and he, he generally does some pretty heavy dramas like The Gift, 
this is for you. If I only had one criticism, is that it's just slightly too long. Yeah, or like I said earlier, the 13 Reasons Why series, something like that. If you don't want to shy away from that and you want to see something challenging and see some really good acting. Or if you just want a good old cry. Mm. At the beginning, she gave me things. Perfect balance. Perfect sleep. Oh, she wants to get inside of me. I can feel her. Well, the scary movies never end. Scribbled papers in Berlin before the fall of the wall amidst Tilda Swinton-led dance classes with disturbingly close sound effects and close shot and stares. Suspiria with music from Tom York and Radiohead looks like art horror and I'm still scared to see it. So should I be? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> this is more like we talked about last week or the week before, maybe ghost stories. It's not a slasher film. It's not completely grotesque in like a Michael Myers stabbing people through the neck kind of a way. What this does is it slowly gets under your skin and it creeps you out that way. So this weirdly is from the director of Call Me By Your Name. Oh, really? This is the next film he's made. So this is Dakota Johnson gets into this prestigious dance school uh, and everything's very strict, but a little bit weird and something otherworldly is going on. Maybe some witchcraft is afoot. A little bit Tilda Swinton-y. A little bit Tilda Swinton-y. This is so esoteric. Yes. It's like someone had a nightmare and just wrote it down. <laughs> In this case, it's not to say that it needs to be understood to be enjoyed or that you'll enjoy it if you understand it. But I think that's the beauty in this piece. It doesn't conform to convention or try to please everyone. And I think it feels quite confident in the fact that it will divide audiences. It's kind of like Mother. Yes. People didn't understand it, people didn't get it, or you enjoyed it and you loved it. Is it Lynchian? It's a little bit Lynchian. And to understand this movie... I guess some context could be provided about what it is. So Suspiria is an Italian horror movie from the 70s. It was toted as being the most shocking movie ever made. And it was not quite a grindhouse movie, but it was like an exploitive movie. Now with all the acclaim of Call Me By Your Name, uh, the director's decided he wants to make that into art. And that's kind of what he's trying to do here. He's taking something that's quite grotesque in its original form, this Italian horror movie, and then going, what if we put a real artistic spin on it, like his kind of deft touch, because he's a great director and he he really takes a lot of like long character moments in this movie to the point where this movie is a full hour longer than the original. Yeah, it is two and a half hours long. So you got to settle in for this ride. I want to start work on a new piece, a piece about rebirths, the inevitable pull that they exert and our efforts to escape them. We learn it now, but Susie, you will improvise freely at its heart. I'm interested in your instincts here. I think because of the aspects of it being in that dance school as well, it really draws on this poetic aspect of female energy and nakedness and and blood and there's all this horror vibe like this theme of the power of dance and not just metaphorically but physically. So these women in this dance school, they're harnessing the energy for occult practices. Dakota Johnson said she trained for three years in different dance academies for this one role. And she had to get therapy afterwards. Yes. She said it was so messed up that she had to go to therapy. But, I mean, you mentioned Tilda Swinton, and she's great as, like, the head of the school, very very stern. Tilda Swinton has this weird command of screen where when she talks, people just shut up and you listen. But also there's a character, an elderly man, who's trying to investigate what's happening, clearly also played by Tilda Swinton, though they keep denying it. They're watching the movie very clearly also played by Tilda Swinton. (laughs) Which I think is cool. They did deny it right up until 
um, the media asked about it They've after the movie. And then they were like, yes, yeah. because she plays three different characters. Right. Oh. Okay. That makes and sense. Yeah. One of the characters was playing the old man. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, nobody asked me if I was playing the character who was playing the old man. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay, Tilly. <laughs> who should see this film? Is it so messed up that I'm going to need therapy? The person that I saw it with came out and they loved it and they want to see it again as soon as possible. But they also loved Ghost Story. They loved that cerebral artistic flair to their horror. If you like old school cult films like The Wicker Man from 73 or Rosemary's Baby from 68, even the new The Witch from 2016, mm. it's but got that vibe. Not the new The Wicker Man. No, I was about to say <laughs> not, not the new <laughs> Wicker Man. No, but it's got that old school cult feminism witch vibe. Also in cinemas this week, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, the story of Freddie Mercury and Queen. And Hunter Killer. With Gerard Butler, not his Scottish accent though. You can hear about both of those by clicking on the previous episode in whatever podcast app that you're in right now. Second Lieutenant Rowley, sir. What is it you're after? An old friend is out here, Captain Stannon. You don't want to join them. We're expecting a huge offensive. So many American war movies are about success, winning. Everything you can do, you do it to win. Defuse the bomb, make the tough call, kill the enemy. British war films, they're a little different. You're under attack, you're waiting for the end. You're two foot deep of mud and you've lost optimism. And yet under that pessimism, there is a sense of hope i find in british war movies they can be parables for the modern age is journey's end it is a heart wrencher this one this one is set at the end of world war one when a young second lieutenant goes to find a family friend of his the captain in the trenches in france and they're they know a German attack is coming and they're basically just waiting around to die. They don't know when. What I really like about this movie, so there's a really nice trifecta going on of characters. Asa Butterfield, who is Hugo from the movie Hugo. Yeah. Oh, Hugo. Yes, yeah. Boy in the striped pajamas. Uh, he's a little bit older now, which is it's kind of weird to see. Him and then he is the fresh face in the trench. He's never been in war before. He's full of optimism. Then there's Sam Claflin, who is in Drift in the Hunger Games series as well. Oh, yeah. He's kind of the polar opposite of him he's seen too much he's becoming mentally unhinged and then there's Paul Bettany's character the vision from the Avengers movies and he is kind of an in-between of both of them where he's seen too much but he's still a little bit optimistic and the seen too much is actually what Paul Bettany plays a lot of isn't it it is yeah. <laughs> yeah. the character that's seen too much yes yes <laughs> but he's dignified about it yeah. yeah my darling Joan you will find no comfort in the thought that I went down fighting for my country You are too clear-headed for that, my darling. It really shows the worst of war, but as you were saying before, with the difference from American war movies and British war movies, Americans always win and they're always the heroes and they go in bravely and nothing's wrong. British ones are like, no, they were scared. Bit of reality check. Yeah, Mm. they were diseased. They had these horrible conditions. They still did it because stiff upper lip and all that, and they had mm. to do their jobs and they were there for their country, but they showed the reality and how scary it was. And there's this real aspect that they generally don't show in a lot of war films. Uh, weirdly, the closest I've seen is actually Blackadder season four, <laughs> which is the flippant disregard for soldiers' life from the generals mm. that are not on the battlefield. They're like, well, we just need a couple of men to storm that trench and you know, hopefully everything works out fine which is this like amazing disconnect from these two sides. And that aspect was really interesting to me. So who should see this film? If you liked any of those British war movies like Dunkirk or even War Horse, it's like one of those really heart gut wrenching movies with is really well shot, really well acted. Just a solid film. Yeah. It's like prestige British drama. 
for your chance to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass. Go to the socials, Facebook and Instagram, and leave a comment on the Cinema Crew post. We want to know what you think deserves a remake. Talking about a couple of remakes this week. Yeah. What do you reckon is in line next? And you could be off to the movies. Next week, Harry Potter is back. Well, his friends at least in Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald. The Old Man and the Gun might be proof that Robert Redford isn't finished making movies just yet. Especially not films about old men robbing banks. Until then, thanks, Cambo. Thank you. Thanks, Vari. Thanks. I'm Kyron Wheatley, and we'll see you, or at least you'll hear us next week, on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.